Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Well, today is a very special day. Does anybody know what day it is? It's my birthday. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So when birthday and Mother's Day happens on the same day, guess who wins? Moms always win. Yeah. Did you know more telephone calls are made today than any other day of the entire year? Absolutely true. Everybody calling home to say something to their mothers. Now, dads, there are more collect calls made on Father's Day than any other day of the year. So, so you all can hang in there with that one and, uh, and be glad about that as well. So uh, you do have something there. But we wanted to take a special time and recognize uh, all of our moms uh, that are here today. But uh, I wanted to start in kind of a different way. Uh, if you are here today and your mom has passed on, if she is no longer with us, I would like for you to stand and, and remain standing for a second. We're going to have a special prayer uh, for everyone whose moms have gone on. Uh, I know I'm in that category, and uh, you look around the room, and uh, this is our contemporary service. Uh, a lot of younger people, and you still see uh, the number of people standing here today and knowing just how much that your mothers have meant in your life. And I just wanted us to have a special prayer uh, for everyone standing here today. So let's have a prayer if we could. Father, uh, the people that are standing here, a lot of them still have heavy hearts. It may have been uh, months, days, years, or decades since their mother has passed away, but they will always be special to them. They'll always hold a very special place in their heart. And so we thank you for our mothers. We thank you for the way they raised us, for what they meant in our lives And Father, we just pray now that uh, you would give us the encouragement of living a good life uh, because of the way that we were raised uh, by our mothers. And I thank you for each and every person standing here and pray your blessing upon them now. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all very much. Well, we want to recognize all the moms that are here this morning and uh, let you know how much we appreciate you, how much we love you. You know, one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your mother and your father. Uh, And it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that actually comes with a promise. And the promise is this. If you honor your parents, your mother and your father, then you will live long in the land the Lord God has given you. And the promise implies that having a good, strong family and good, godly parents is the key to all of society. And uh, so we want to let our parents, especially our mothers today, know how much they mean to us. So if you are here this morning and uh, you are a mom, if you would stand and remain standing. And uh, we have a special gift that we want to give to you. Uh, As moms, we know you have every challenge in life uh, that you go through. And so we have a special bookmark, uh, finding help in God's word uh, with this very attractive pen that goes along uh, with it. And, uh, that is for all of our moms here this morning. And, uh, we have some of our students that are, uh, actively doing something here and passing them out. We actually have two sides of the church. If you all want, want to find the other side over there.
Katie has gone to get more. Got a lot of moms here today. Don't worry, it's like Doritos. We make more. It'll, it'll be okay. Well, while we are waiting, we want to have a very special prayer for all of our moms. Oh, here she comes right now. See? All right, anybody not get one? All right, that's great, that's great. Okay, I think we are there. Well, first of all, we want to say thank you to the moms that are here. Thank you for everything that you do, uh, for your love, your hard work, for getting up early in the morning, for taking care of us when we're sick, when we're grumpy, and when we do things we shouldn't do. And we certainly appreciate everything that our moms do. And uh, before we have a prayer, let's just let all of our moms know how much we love them and appreciate them. Let's have a prayer if we could. Father, I thank you for each and every one of the moms that are here today. Uh, We're blessed because they were in our lives. Our life and our world is better uh, because of moms and their love and their care, uh, their wisdom, uh, the way that they... Uh, have pointed us to you. And Father, we just pray now for each of them, whatever stage they may be in life with their uh, children, that Lord, you would just encourage them. Uh, You would help them to be the best parents they can be at each of these different stages. And uh, Father, help them know just how valuable what they do is and how much they are appreciated. Father, I pray this morning for people who may be in this room that didn't have good parents. Uh, And sometimes a day like Mother's Day can be a very hurtful thing. And help them to know, Father, that they have a God who loves them, that is always there for them, uh, and that you will be with them uh, despite what this world may bring. And we just thank you and praise you again for our mothers. And in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. So thank you, moms. Well, I remember when our first child, Alyssa, was born. And you're not really prepared for your first baby, if you were like me. Uh, you know, you, you got these books. I got the book, you know, what is it, uh, what to expect when you're expecting and then what to expect the first year. That's more about development and stuff. What I want to know is, okay, when the baby's born, now what do you do? That's kind of an intimidating thing. And it's really scary uh, to suddenly have this, this new thing hanging around the house, yelling and crying and pooping and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, we were back in the day where you actually, we decided to be environmentally sound. And so with Alyssa, we used cloth diapers, and I kept sticking myself with pins and all this kind of stuff. I finally got good at it and everything because we wanted to save the planet. When Andrew was born, we didn't care about the planet anymore. You know, the <clears throat> cheapest uh, disposable diapers you could find, that's what we were looking at, you know, when it came to that anymore. Uh, we'd already done our chore at that point. But the one thing that surprised me the most about having a child was how tired you are all the time. Anybody remember being tired when you had a baby? Anybody still tired from having a baby? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of you have, have, have younger kids 
And uh, the, the good news is it only lasts for three or four years, and then you finally get a good night's sleep. And then by the time they get to high school, you start staying up for other reasons uh, than you did. Uh, but it's kind of a challenge as you go through that just overwhelming feeling of being tired. I used to tell Dawn, I want to go to work so I can get some rest. You know, that, that's kind of like I got some pictures here, some parents uh, to kind of figure it out right there. You know, anybody been there? Oh, yeah, yeah. And here's just a couple more, you know, as, as you're there. And then uh, the last one uh, right here, you know, uh, all together. I remember one time I was sick. Dawn had gone to Roanoke in Virginia to the mall. Uh, and Alyssa was sitting on top of me crying. And I was laying there not feeling well. And so Dawn come in. We were just both laying on the couch crying. And she said, you know, I, I don't even know what to do with this. Both of you are just on the couch crying or, or something like that. So, so what do you do uh, with this kind of thing, this feeling, this tiredness? What do you do? How do we prepare our children to live the kind of lives they should live? We're going to be over in John chapter 15. This is kind of an unusual passage to be looking at for Mother's Day, uh, but I think it says a lot about what we need to know. John chapter 15. And the first thing we see is this. For whatever reason, faith doesn't seem to be sticking in our children today. Faith doesn't seem to be sticking in our children. Look down to verse chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that dares bear fruit he prunes so that I'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me. I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in the vine. Now, as we start here in John chapter 15, this is that last night that Jesus spends with his disciples before he's going to be uh, taken away, crucified. Uh, and he's, he's on this uh, long talk with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. And he talks about the, this illustration of the branches and the vine. And it's really a very simple illustration. The illustration is if the branch isn't connected to the vine, it withers and dies. And so it's essential that as Christians that we stay connected to the vine, which is Jesus. <laughs> the problem that we're seeing today is that ha isn't happening all the time, especially with our children. Uh, our church was just a part of a, a something called the Sticky Faith Cohort uh, with Fuller Seminary. And uh, we, we went through this for over a year uh, down with Fuller. And one of the things that, that came out of the research that they were doing on children is that anywhere from 50 to 70% of children raised in the church, active in the church, who saw themselves as really strong people in their youth group, 50 to 70% of them stop going to church when they leave home after uh, high school, either to college or to work. Uh, 50 to 70% simply stop going to church. Now, is that acceptable? Is it acceptable for the church to say, okay, as soon as our kids get out of high school, 70% uh, of them just disappear and, and leave the church altogether? And there's a lot of reasons for it. You know, newfound independence and kids have to make decisions on their own. They get to college. They, they find worldviews both from teachers and from other students that they've never really seen before. And it challenges what they grew up with. And they weren't really given any way of coping with the new culture that they're suddenly uh, immersed in. 
Uh, we see it from the fact that, that, that the kids just really didn't have a, a, a deep-rooted faith to begin with as they went in there. There's all kinds of reasons that kids go away from the faith, but we're told here if you're not connected to the vine, that what happens is you begin to wither because you have to stay connected. And if that's the case, five 50 to 70% of our kids aren't staying connected, so what do we do about it? It should be a crisis point in the church. The church should be looking around and saying, obviously we are not doing something right if we're losing half of our kids as soon as they graduate from high school. What's going on here? And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning, and we're going to look at three main things that help make the faith of our children stick. Because this should be something that really is on the front burner because it's simply not acceptable and the church needs to be doing something about it. I was uh, reading a story in the paper this week out of England where a man on a bridge had stepped over the bridge and was going to commit suicide. And somebody walking on the other side of the bridge saw him and ran over and grabbed the man and was physically holding him, keeping him from jumping. A car was going down the road, and the guy had a rope. So guess what he did with the rope? He starts tying the guy with the rope. Another guy had a belt. He took his belt off and tied his legs with the belt so the guy couldn't jump off the bridge until the police got there and were able to do something. They considered this such an urgent situation, somebody's life, that they were willing to do anything they could to save this person. And in the same way, the church needs to be looking at what do we need to be doing to make sure that 50 to 70% of our teenagers don't leave the church once they graduate from high school. So let's keep looking over in chapter 15. And as I said, there's three main things that stand out. And the first is this. Our children need a faith based on a loving relationship with God and not behavior control. Too many times, all the church teaches our children is behavior control. Be a good boy, be a good girl, and that's their view of God. As a matter of fact, in a a recent survey from the Fuller Youth Institute, 82% of of teenagers, when asked what it meant to be a Christian, 82% when asked what it means to be a Christian, said something to do with behavior. Being a Christian means I don't do drugs. Being a Christian means I don't have sex. Being a Christian means I don't cuss. Being a Christian means I don't gossip. Is that what we're teaching our children? That being a Christian is about something you don't do or you're a bad person? And yet 82% of Christian teenagers, that was what they said about God. That somehow the whole God thing is about not doing something. Well, if your faith is about not doing something and suddenly you go off to college and you have this entire different culture hit you and you have these professors that may be teaching things you've never heard before and students living in a way that you've never seen before in your youth group, you suddenly got a big challenge in front of you. And if it's about behavior control and your behavior gets bad, then you might as well just give up. The problem with behavior control as the point of Christianity is very simple. You're never going to succeed. You're always going to mess up. You're never going to be good enough. And so if your faith is about being good and controlling your behavior, you're going to find it to be a very, very rocky start from the very beginning. I've got about a three-minute video, longer than we usually show, uh, that the Fuller Institute put together. But it's interviewing teenagers about what their faith was like and what happened 
when they got away from home? Well, high school ministry was a lot of fun. It was a lot easier to follow God because my community was doing the same. All my friends would go there. Um, I was in the worship band. I was this kind of picture-perfect youth group kid. We had a huge youth group. I got to find people that were very similar to me. It was my home. It was my favorite place to be. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fall away. Like that's the last thing I'm gonna do. You know, look at my family, look where I come from, look at the church that I come from. You know, that's the last thing. Faith is central to me. Like that bubble burst within months. College felt really lonely. To come to a place that's so far away from everything familiar made me feel very alone and made me feel very insecure. I joined a sorority right when I got to college because I knew that I wanted to make friends. Because I had so much freedom, I really lost all my motivation for school. Students everywhere were under the influence or had drugs or alcohol with them at school and I was really surprised and not prepared for that. I kind of wanted to try it, not gonna lie. I started drinking, I like started partying, I started caring about like what people thought of me a lot, wanting to be skinny, wanting to wear clothes that showed more than probably should have. It turned out to be a lot harder to stay sober than I thought. I ended up compromising my own values, my own beliefs, and ended up getting involved sexually with, with girls. Any sense of identity that I was getting from God, I had replaced with this romantic relationship. Losing something that was central to me, which was my virginity. I just, man, that decimated, you know, the rest of the stuff I could, I could get back, I could heal from, you know, I could, like, I could turn around and get away from. But that's something that's, you know, you can't change that. Uh, and so that just makes it impossible then for me to ever live up to that ideal that I had placed upon myself and that was placed upon me coming into college. My relationship with God was messed up. I didn't really want anything to do with a personal relationship with God because I felt threatened by it and I felt like I would be... Condemned. My best friends, who I was a roommate with, called me out and said, dude, this isn't you. You just get to a point where it gets to be very, um, you achieve very low self-esteem. I'm making decisions here that are hurting myself and hurting other people. And I didn't think myself capable of doing those things. And it wasn't until I needed God's grace that I realized God had been there the whole time just with his hand extended. And all I needed to do was turn around and, and grab it. I kept straying away from him over and over and over. And every single time, he still received me back into his arms. And he's the only one in the universe that would do that. So think about that for a second. One of the kids said, I didn't want a personal relationship with God because of what it entailed, meaning God's going to be angry with me. God's going to judge me. God's not going to like me because of the way that I'm living and the things that I'm doing. And if that's what we're transmitting to our kids from church, man, if there's a gong up here for the gong show, it needs to be gong. Man, we're failing. It's not about a behavior. Can you not be a Christian and not do drugs? Yeah, it has nothing to do with behavior. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ that changes your life. 
If you think if God is an angry judge out to get you, you never heard of the story of the prodigal son who wasted everything and, and a half of his father's inheritance. And when he came home, his father ran down the road and embraced him and threw a big party. This, my son that is dead, is alive again. That's the God that we have, not the angry judge that's out to get us. So look back to John 15. Is it about behavior control? How do you stay in the vine? If you're not connected to the vine, you wither. How do you stay in the vine? Look down to verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. How do you remain in the vine so you don't wither? It's all about love. You realize God loves you. You love God. And nothing's ever going to separate you from that love. Parents, the number one thing your children need from you, even more than your, than your correction and your wisdom and your great views of life, the number one thing your children need from you is unconditional love, that you are going to love them no matter what. Have you ever heard, that kid's got a face only a mama could love? That means they know it. mama's going to love you no matter what. That's what your children need to know and hear. But it's not the only thing they just need to know and hear about their parents. It's what they need to know and believe about God. That there is nothing they will ever do their entire life that will cause God not to love them, not to be there for them, not to forgive them, not to bring them back into fellowship with him again. And if all our children are thinking is God is some angry judge, we've really taught the entire wrong thing. Keep reading verse 10. Because verse 10 sounds a little strange. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. You know why that sounds strange? Because it sounds exactly like I just said wasn't. It sounds like behavior control. What he said was, if you remain in my, if you follow my commandments, you'll stay in my love. Now, that sounds pretty strange, doesn't it? Well, you just said that wasn't the case. Look down to verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I loved you. If you follow my command, you'll remain in my love. What's my command? To love one another. So again, we miss the whole point. It's not behavior control. It's about the fact that God loved us, that God cares for us, that God would do actually anything for us. And he did even going to the cross to die for us. Look down to verse uh, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So Jesus showed his ultimate love for us by giving himself on the cross for us. And in the same way, the way we remain in love is to be in that loving relationship with God. If you want your children's faith to sick, they need to see a God that loves them unconditionally. So when they get away from you and, and, and things aren't going the way they want it to, or they mess up or they give in or they fail here or they fail there, they know, you know what, I may have messed up here, but God will always be there. God will always love me. God will never turn his back on me. That's a faith that sticks. If what you think of God is I've messed up and now he's angry and out to get me, then it's not going to work very well for you. It's when you see God with this unbelievable love, that's when faith starts to stick. So that's the first thing that we see. If we want our faith to stick in our children, we need to teach them about the unconditional love for God for them that will always be there. 
A second thing we see when it comes to making our children's faith stick is that our children need relationships with all ages in the church and not just their youth group. Now, what often happens uh, is that we separate our children totally from the adults in the church. (laughs) Anybody here at holidays have like a kid's table? Uh, You can participate, you know. Anybody here have a kid's table? Just two people. Thank you. Thank you. Well, when I was growing up and we would go to my, my aunt's house, we not only had a kid's table, the kid's table was in the basement. We weren't even near the adults. We could do anything we wanted down there. You know, it, it, was, it was great. You know, we'd get totally away from people. Well, if you have an adult table and a kid table, not only are, they, are you totally separate from the adults, the kid never, they never get to hear grandma's stories. Uh, They never get to hear what's going on in other people's lives. We miss all of that interchange with an adult and a kid table. Now, it can be dangerous. Uh, We intentionally did this at our last church with a staff Christmas party one time. Uh, And Andrew was much younger. You know, he's like seven years old or something. And in the middle of supper, Andrew picks up his plate and walks away. And one of the guys who was talking said, Andrew, are you okay? And he said, yeah, you're just really boring. I'm going to another table. And uh, so, you know, there are some challenges that, that come from that. Uh, but, you know, the, the, you still want to try to put them together. The problem is, as a church, we tend to separate our children. We never see them. Uh, you know, let them have their own worship service, let them have their own meetings, never get together with them. And so your children grow up, they're in the preschool group, they're in the children's group, they're in the youth or students group. And uh, then they graduate and suddenly there's no group for them to go to away from home and they've graduated from the students and so they just quit. Instead of feeling like they're a part of the church itself. And that's what we need to be giving our children. You're a part of a church. You're not a part of a youth group or a children's group. This is your family. We're all family together. There's not an adult table and a kid's table. Well, look down to verse 11. Verse 11. Jesus said, I've told you these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I love you. Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. A servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that lasts. And then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And this is my command, love each other. It's interesting here that when Jesus is talking about what he wants from his disciples, he's talking about a family type of relationship. He says, you're no longer my servants, you're my friend. You know, and as friends, friends have a different relationship than servants have. And now that you're my friend, I want you to love and care and be friends with others. And that's how people need to see the church. They they don't need to see the church as an organization or a group or a committee or a club. The church is supposed to be your friends and your family. This is the place you come for encouragement and help and love and care. And and this is the place you come when the whole rest of the world falls apart. This is my command. Love each other, Jesus said. You are my friends. Now go be friends with others who are in the faith. That's what our children need to know. Part of the Fuller research said that every one of our children need at least five adults in their life from the church. Five adults. Five adults that they can look at and trust and, and, uh, and go to if they needed something. Now, most people, most students in high school can name one or two adults, 
okay? But, but the research says they need five. They need five people. And if children had five adults in their life from church when they went away to school, their faith tended to stick because it was their church. It wasn't a group or something they were a part of. The church was important to them. So when we do mission trips and mission outings, they need to be family gatherings and, and, and gatherings where, 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 where children and teenagers and, and adults and senior adults are all together working together and they feel like you're a part of something together. When we take up the offering, we need to have every age group taking up the offering and doing things. When we have fellowships, we don't need to have the, the children and the youth over there and, and, uh, and over here. And if y'all notice at church fellowships, it's like middle school. You have the women's table and the men's table. You know, nobody tends to get together at all uh, when you get out there. We need to somehow do that. So adults, especially senior adults, man, find some kids, start talking to them, get to know them, share your life with them. We start to try to do more and more things to pull people together. Uh, one church I found was doing something called Mentor Up, Mentor Up. And here's a picture of, of Mentor Up. Uh, that's there. Uh, they have kids showing senior adults how to work their iPhones and iPads. Uh, you know, it's kind of like I, I'm, I'm okay with that stuff. But if something goes wrong with, with my iPad or my iPhone and I'm a church, I just say, man, I need to find a third grader. You know, and then they, they, they'll show me what's going on with my telephone here. They'll figure it out. You know, they'll, they'll have it like that. And so, you know, they actually have nights to call Mentor Up. Now, believe it or not, we've got two or three senior adults in our church who have asked for this. Are there any kids that can show me how to use my phone or my iPad? So, y'all, if anybody wants to help with that, uh, do somehow sign up in some way. (laughs) Maybe I should have thought this through before that. Go to the Welcome Center and tell them I would like to help with that, and we've got someone that would be interested and you're doing that. Just go to the Welcome Center and do that. So the, our, our, our kids need to feel like this is their church and that they're a part of the church. For that to happen, parents, you got to bring them to church. Okay, sorry. you got to get involved yourself and do those things. And that brings us to the last thing uh, that we see. Parents must be the number one influencers in preparing their children for adulthood, not the church. One of the things the research found is that, parents, you're the number one thing. Think of all of the ways when you get into school and you think, man, you know, my kids hate me. They got in the eighth grade. They think I'm stupid. They won't talk to me. Uh, Aliens have possessed their bodies and uh, all of this kind of stuff. You know, I don't know what's going on. When all of that happens, research has shown us 92% of kids, even those who think, whose parents think they don't like them, when asked if you had a serious problem, where would you go? Guess what they say? Their parents. 92%, that's every single kid. Unless you really come from a really bad, dysfunctional home, every kid, it says, number one place I'm going to go is to mom and dad. Mom and dad, you can't farm the kids out to church and hope they get, they get better or something. You know, sometimes we have, we're dry cleaner parents. Our kids get dirty and we send them to church. Okay, they, they've been cussing too much. You go to church. No, no, get, beat that out of you or something like that. Whatever they do there at church or something like that, you know. And so we expect the church to be a dry cleaner and get the kids all set up. The purpose of the church isn't to give your kids their faith. It's to support you in your giving your kids their faith, your faith. 
And so we're to be the backup. We're to be the reinforcement. We're to go along with parents every single step of the way. So one mistake parents make is that, well, what we're trying to do is just send them to the church and let the church take care of it. The second problem parents make is that sometimes we're helicopter parents. And uh, as a helicopter parent, you're always trying to make sure your kid never has any responsibility, never, never faces any problems. You take care of everything that happens in their life. When your role as a parent is to make sure your kids can live good, independent, godly lives as points of light when you're not around. And yet if all you do is protect them from every harm, they're never going to get a chance to do that. And then suddenly they're going to be thrown out on their own and they've never had a chance to make a responsible decision or to have a disappointment in life or to have something not go their way because you've covered for them every step of the way. And now suddenly they're out there facing this tough world and you've somehow hovered over them. The worst example I've ever seen of that was this week. As soon as I saw it, I said, man, this has to be in in my sermon. Uh, There is a mom in Colorado whose daughter went to college this year And, uh, you know, college is a scary place. 50 to 70% of kids stop going to church. So mom had a solution. You know what the solution was? She went to college with her daughter. They got an apartment together. And so the apartment is right off campus within walking distance. Mom makes her meals, literally walks her to class every day to make sure she's okay uh, and, and all of that. All right. Who thinks that's going a little beyond the pale? Who's thinking, daggone, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) I'm looking for an apartment right now for my kids, you know, that we can live in together. You know, wouldn't that be great? And how many of you who are teenage to college years think, I would love to have my mom go to college with me. That would just be so nice. So sometimes you can be overprotective just a little bit. Now the daughter said, oh, I think it's great. I've always got home-cooked meals and, and I don't have to worry about getting mugged or anything because my mom's with me and they're not going to mess with her, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff. And so, so you know, that, that, that idea there. Well, what were we supposed to be doing with our children is that parents are supposed to be raising children so that the children can meet the world that's out there. So that we can make sure that our children are good, godly, independent people. Look over to chapter 17. Chapter 17. This is the very end uh, of Jesus' discussion with his disciples. And this is Jesus' prayer to God for his disciples. Look at verse 15. Chapter 17, verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So the first thing Jesus says in the prayer is, God, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world so they never have any problems, they never have any challenges, nothing hits them. I just pray for their protection as they go out into the world. So as parents, that's one of the things we're supposed to be doing. Okay, you're raising your children to be good, independent, godly people when they're not around you. You're not praying God takes them out of the world and they never have any problem. You just pray a little for their protection as they go out into the world. Verse 16, they're not of the world as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So you need to be teaching your children what's right and wrong and good and bad and the truth that is there. As you have sent me into the world, I send them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they true too may be truly sanctified. So Jesus said, look, I am sending them out into the world to make a difference in the world. 
It wasn't to hold them in and protect them and make sure nothing ever happened to them. It was to get them to the point because Jesus isn't going to be with them much longer. That night, he's going to be arrested. By 3 o'clock the next day, he's going to be dead. And they're going to be wondering, what in the world's going on here? And his prayer to God was, I don't want you to just protect them from everything that's going to happen. Help them to be the kind of people they're supposed to be when it happens. Parents, that's what you need to be doing. It's very, very hard to raise your children to say, I'm raising them to be strong, godly, independent people when I'm not around. That's very hard. But Jesus' prayer for his disciples was, look, I'm sending them out into the world to make a difference in the world, just as you, God, sent me out into the world to make a difference in the world. You know, as we are on Mother's Day, we all want our children to have a faith that sticks. And we've seen three things today that can do that. That letting your children know about the unconditional love of God that's going to be there with them no matter what. By making the church their family and getting them involved in all of the church and not just in their their little group. And by the parents saying, I am raising you, it's my responsibility, and I'm doing all I can to give you the faith and the knowledge and the training to live the life you should live when I'm not around. (laughs) So an interesting story in the paper this week. There's a Marine drill sergeant by the name of Kevin Porter. And Kevin went home for uh, lunch this week. And uh, when he got home, his daughter was out in the backyard and said, Dad, I've set up lunch and a tea party for you to come and have lunch with me. And so Sergeant Porter said, well, that would be very nice, dear. So he went out and started having lunch with his daughter. His wife took a picture, put it on Facebook. The picture has now gone viral. It has gone everywhere across the thing. And what people were were amazed by was this. Most people see a, a Marine drill sergeant and they think what? Tough, mean, uh, somebody you don't want to cross. When this little girl asked her daddy to have tea and lunch with her, was she thinking there's a mean, tough guy that I need to be afraid of? Is that what she was thinking? No. She was thinking, that's my daddy who loves me, and we're going to have tea together. And how did her dad respond to it? He was glad to have tea and lunch with his daughter. Our children need to understand God is great and all-powerful, but they also need to see God as that loving parent that is always going to be there for them. And when they do, that's a faith that sticks. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us so much that you're always there for us. Father, help us as a church and as families to really give our children what they need as they go into this world as points of light for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.